as most of you are probably aware by now, I watched these and then immediately shift over to recording. I uh, wasn't expecting to get hit in the feels as hard as I was. So let's start with something a little more dry, shall we? Uh, first time we see the big old battleship, Jim had our battleship. Big, horrible, terrifying looking thing. We'll see more of that later. I, I, don't, I bothered to look it up. The, la the last time Gamora was in the show was in Season 3, Episode 5. Uh, at this point, that is over two years ago. <sighs> this is part of the reason why... It, like, some people... I know some of my viewers have gotten irritable about me constantly decrying the lack of recurring guest stars. But I'm going to keep pushing that point, because it's not that hard to have a character still be relevant, even if you don't actually want to pay the guest star to show up. You could have had Kira mention him. You have plenty of little tiny side scenes where the characters are just talking about whatever before the plot kicks in. Have her looking at a photo. Like, it's, it's, oh, it's it's a picture of, of Gamora. He's, you know, he's been trying to make this flower grow, and he just, he just can't get it working. He insists on doing it himself. He could just ask... You know, someone else, but he's been trying to make it grow himself, and it's it's not been going great. But it hasn't killed it yet, so that's something. Little tidbits like that, right? That being said, I do want to mention the advantages of backloaded storytelling. I know I've talked about this before, but as a quick, quick reminder, front-loaded storytelling is like performing a very well-scripted play, assuming it's done well, obviously. Backloaded storytelling is like doing improv. And both have their places, and in fact, I would actually go so far as to say that a good show should actually use both in proper measure. But in this case, Weyoun and the very nature of the Vorta is almost entirely backloaded storytelling. This is actually very obvious going back through the show, where it's very clear they had no idea what they were doing with the Vorta, and I've discussed that as we've gone forward. But now we find out that the Vorta clone themselves, and thus have multiple iterations of each other. So this is now Weyoun 5. And as I talked about, the whole reason for this is because they really liked the Weyoun character, and of course they love Jeffrey Combs, because Jeffrey Combs is amazing. So, now we have Weyoun 5. And he's delightful, the whole episode. He was, uh... We'll talk more about him later. I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, Weyoun 5 is the one we will be seeing the most of, of the Weyouns. Pretty sure. So we have a quick recap. For those of you who don't remember an episode from two seasons ago. But then Gamora shows up. Yay! And Kira is so obviously happy and excited to see him. It's actually kind of heartwarming how much this means to her. It, it, it almost would mean more if she'd been keeping in contact with him for the last two years, but that's neither here nor there. And they mentioned the idea, she mentions the idea, of a government in exile. Now, given what we learn later about the fact that the Federation does not actually recognize the current Cardassian government, and the Cardassians in general have no extradition treaty, the idea of a government in exile in here actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it for a minute. I mean, obvious World War II parallels are obvious, but... At the same time, it's not a bad idea, and it, it's a good way to play at politics, which is something that both the Dominion and the Federation are actually pretty good at. So, fighting in a field that doesn't involve guns, basically. Now, Dukat makes a rather blatant poke at, uh, at, at Cisco, and starts to justify and clarify things for himself. And, you know, 
I think this was really the true beginnings of Dukat becoming completely delusional. Now, I'll talk more about that in the future, and frankly, I don't have much to say about it in this episode. I just wanted to mention, I think this is when the writers really started pushing that particular angle, uh, concluding, you'll, you'll see what I mean, in Waltz, which we'll be covering later this year. So, there's this really great scene where it cuts to him taking care of Kiryoshi. Just kind of, you know, I almost feel like a grandfather. And you could just, there's just a lot of naked joy in it. It's, it's, just, it's just good feels, and I have nothing much to add to that. But I, I, I lie, because I do have one thing to add to it. So, I can already hear what you're saying. Lore, you're being too harsh on this episode. And on DS9 in general. DS9's amazing and has no flaws. I'm kidding, you're probably not saying that. Because, I mean, God, I love DS9, but this is a very flawed show. But the thing is, they had the opportunity in this episode to backload the idea that the two had been in contact this whole time. Nope, she never told him about Shakar. Or anything else. In fact, the only way they've been keeping up on each other, and they discuss this in the episode, is that he's been having intel on her, and she's been getting intel on him. Now... I, I, I don't remember how he pronounced it, forgive me. Uh, Shritol, I believe? He mentions the idea of Shritol, which is the passing on your secrets as you die to your, to your close family. First of all, can I just say, I love that. That is such a wonderfully Cardassian thing to do. It is, that is so Cardassian, holy crap. And I also have to admit, it amuses the hell out of me to think about how much that could influence or change, uh, let's just say, political as well as personal dynamics, especially if your political opponents are in the family, right? But I love the idea that he wants to do that with Kira. The point that's hammered in over and over and over this entire episode is that they are family. Regardless of blood, they are family. Family is chosen. I've said that so many times in my life. And it's funny, because there's a quote by uh, Hewitt, I believe, who uh, who did the teleplay for this episode, who, who says the exact same thing. This, this is her family. And it's just nice to see that, you know, I, this isn't just me projecting, that even the, the author of the episode, that is to say the teleplay, agreed with the core concept. This is who they are with. And I have this note here that says at least he got to see his granddaughter before the end. So, he has this very strong Cardassian sense of duty. And it pushes him to keep sharing this intel and sharing this information about how the Cardassian government works. Now, I don't think this intel is ever referenced again, which is a damned shame in my opinion, and a huge missed opportunity. Because they could have done so much with this. This could have been a recurring plot thread for her, for Kira. Her insisting on using this information in the future, even if it was just a background element, as a way of not only, you know, helping the Cardassian people, showing how far she's come as a person, that she's actively trying to help the Cardassians, but also in honor of his memory, in honor of the memory of her second father. Nope, never mentioned again. Yay. I do have to mention, though, uh, there's this bit where uh, Dukat and Weiyun show up, and this is actually a surprisingly fascinating scene. So first of all, Dukat mentions Ilyana. She's never mentioned again either. I'll just go ahead and spoil that for you. Unless you count the books. 
Uh, yes, I know that, that she shows up in the books, and that leads to a whole other thing, and the intendant, and just, it's not, let's leave that over the side. But, Grimoire mentions that he might be willing to reach out to Ducat, that he might be willing to make a deal with you, Cardassian to Cardassian, but I won't do anything with you as long as you're with the Dominion. Now, that is a fascinating tidbit for me for many reasons, and I'd like to go through a couple of them, if you don't mind my deliberations. First of all, it's it's kind of an insight into how, as bad as Ducat is, he's nothing compared to the Dominion. I mean, obviously, there are some people who disagree with the idea that evil is a scale or gradient or all that, but I personally uh, do think there is a difference between, you know, stealing a bit of candy from a store and, you know, destroying a planet. Um, bit of an extreme, but getting across my point, because... Ducat is not a good person. He's never been a good person. And I think we've discussed this many times as Ducat keeps coming up. But whatever Ducat is, is nowhere near as bad as the Dominion. There's a scene, spoiler, there's a scene in several several episodes, like, like say 15 or so episodes from now, something like that, where Wayun casually, casually mentions wiping out all life on Earth. In the same way that you would mention, maybe I should get fries with this. Like, with that level of how much it matters to you. Eh, I mean, I, I could get some fries, but maybe not. Think about that for a second. That's the Dominion. Really. That is the... the I'm, I'm going to br bring that moment up when we get to that episode. Because in my opinion, that is the simplest, quickest, most efficient way to get across what the Dominion is. That kind of mass slaughter, just, just to move forward an agenda. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't cost them anything. They'll just do it. I mean, we've been seeing how horrible the Dominion is for so many of our expeditions into the Gamma Quadrant, right? So, we get that parallel, and the idea, of course, of the Cardassian mentality, the the racial mentality, if you will, you know, Cardassians and Cardassian people, very strong family lines, I've talked about the tribalism and the whole way that that influences Cardassian society and infrastructure and hierarchy. So willing to connect with someone who has a parallel line versus someone who has no parallel lines at all is a very Cardassian way of thinking. But the final reason I find this fascinating is, as much as a Weiyun is a fan favorite, and oh, he is. <laughs> I mean, holy crap. I, lo I love seeing him in DS9 even. But as much as Weiyun is a fan favorite, this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of looking at things from an out-of-character perspective. Because remember, DS9 was being developed at a unique time, probably the only time in, in, in history, in television history, where viewer feedback was small enough, but accessible enough, that viewers were regularly able to have meaningful communication with the creators of the show. The, the, the infamous AOL chats is probably the biggest example of this. But you know what I'm talking about, especially if you were around at this point in time. And it was well known that Ducat was a beloved character that a lot of viewers thought was kind of leaning towards the good guy side. And remember, the writers went to several efforts to make sure he would lean the other way, just to correct the viewer in, you know, in proper perspective. And yet, even in this episode, that the script seems to wink at the viewer saying, I mean, Ducat, sure, we can deal with Ducat, but the Dominion... Anyways. <clears throat> so... Final point. I knew there was one more. This, this is why I keep my notes. I try to keep nice and organized nowadays. The final point is he is willing to work with Ducat, but absolutely refuses to work with the Dominion right in front of Kira. Remember that. 
That's going to come up later. So, <clears throat> so she's having trouble sleeping. There's a there's a really great. Uh, this is an Avery Brooks episode, and he does, he's very good with. Uh, I don't want to call them still shots, but shots that don't have a lot of movement and have no dialogue. And so he actually uses that during the montage to show the passage of time. He does a great job with it. Um, and we see that Kira isn't sleeping. I don't blame her. I wouldn't be either. And I mean, obviously, not a visitor looks bedraggled and looks haggard, and she looks tired. But I'm bringing all that up because... It's one of those things that I've noticed viewers and players tend to forget how much sleep deprivation affects us. Maybe those, maybe it's just something that's so minor you think, oh yeah, you're tired, what do you do? But sleep deprivation really seriously causes problems. Speaking from personal experience as well as actual, you know, medical data. So Kira is very sleep deprived. And then Dukat shows up. Now I think, I, I think that explains everything about the scene that unfolds. Kira certainly doesn't care for Ducat, but normally she just wouldn't even give him the time of day. She knows how to be cordial and polite. She's actually shown that in this episode. So she would just be like, yep, yeah, okay. Instead, she, she kind of lures him along a little bit and then throws a glass at his face. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of the distinctions between battery and assault, but this is definitely on the assault side of the equation. This is actually kind of messed up. She deliberately attacked another head of state with a weapon, with intent to harm, knowingly, willingly. There have literally been wars started in real life for far less than that. And I think the only reason she does this is because she is so deprived, in addition to the fact that it's Dukat, in addition to the trauma she's going through with her father, with Grimoire, and her other father, who I don't remember his name, forgive me, the Bajoran father. Because, <laughs> normally, because I, I, basically it's just a, a development scene to help showcase how far gone she is right now. Granted, the Kira from five years ago would have done that without hesitation, and screw the consequences. But this is, Kira has grown substantially over the last five years. She has seasoned and developed, and she's one of my favorite characters on this show for obvious reasons. And so her showcasing of this really gets across how much this is all getting to her. We now have a very personal, very violent, very ugly insight into how much this is getting to her. It's a great scene. And what I love most is, and I know this is going to sound horrible, is Alemo's, or Mark, it's Alemo, right? Oh, God, someone... I just had a memory of someone correcting me on that. Let me double check his actor name really quick. Uh, Mark Alemo. Yeah, I'm right. Because I've heard it said. Alemo, Mark Alemo's re reaction really helps sell it. Because he just goes cold, stone-faced. Like, you could just see he is restraining himself from physically assaulting her in return. Like, there's, there's, I don't know how to describe that. I've seen that look in real life. It's a very... It's a very dangerous look, because that's someone who is about to do something they're going to regret if they're pushed a little bit farther. And he's just... Oh, yeah. That's a that's a fun scene. So then she reads it, and she finds out that he was in the military during a time in which... In a, in a unit, during a time in which that unit performed a massacre. Okay. Now that's horrible. 
But what I find most interesting is when she confronts him about this, he doesn't deny it. He, he explains without excusing. It was so easy to hate you. It was, so, but, but it, was, it was so easy to look at you as monsters. But we were the monsters. I was wrong. We were the oppressors. We were in the wrong. That was his mentality there. That is, I should say, his mentality there. And as Odo very rightly points out later, he was 19 when this happened, in a group of 400, and may not have actually done anything. Like, you could say whether or not that's complicit or not, but the point is, this isn't him hiding the fact that he was secretly a serial murderer. He was complicit in the Cardassian occupation. That's his crime. Which is something Kira already knew. And that's, of course, why I love the Odo scene so well. It's a very short scene. But he's precision just slices right through all the bullcrap to get right to that point as quickly and efficiently as possible. This isn't about him or his record. You knew that. You could have looked that up yourself if you gave a damn. No. This is about something else. Now, he doesn't know exactly what, but he doesn't have to say it because that's not the point. I'm not here to tell you to do anything. That's what you're telling yourself to do. And that's one of the reasons why I like Odo a lot as a character, because he's really good when he actually bothers with these interpersonal relationships, especially now that he's really been working on that for the last few years. There's this nice little tidbit, before we get back to the drama, where uh, Dukat is given the extremely poisoned canard, and Wayun is just loving all of this. Like, he loves games. It's all, And I think that helps to explain the whole wipe out all life on Earth thing. Let me rewind a second. How many of you have ever played a strategy game? Uh, board game, pen and paper, you know, like Warhammer or MechWarrior, or something along the lines of, say, a video game, like Warcraft or Age of Empires or whatever. Now, how many of you love those kind of games? And I'll go ahead and raise my hand on that. That's Wayun. That's, that's his perspective. The problem is, you can see why that's so horrible. Imagine if the next time you're playing, insert strategy game here, all those people that you're ordering around, and imagine they're real people, and that's kind of where Wayun's at. Except you, a rational, reasonable human being, would probably look at that and go, because that would mean something all of a sudden. They're not just units on a board anymore. But that's all they are to Wayun, is units on a board. And then, of course... Because he, just for fun, he tries the, the extremely toxic... And I love how both both Cisco and, and Ducat are just like... Now, it's funny, but it also gets across the point. Once again, the contrast between Ducat and the Dominion is made clear. Ducat plays at games and may or may not succeed at them. Weyun effortlessly brushes them aside. The Dominion is simply in a much higher weight class than the Cardassians and the Federation. So, we see the flashback. We've actually been seeing a couple flashbacks as we go. And we see Pharrell. It was good to see him again, actually. Same actor. Oh, my God. So I'll give, I'll give you that, DS9. Seeing him again, that's awesome. That's exactly what I want from that kind of continuity. And you know, he goes and they fight and they, they go and they, she misses his death. And she finally... There's an episode of Babylon 5. I don't remember the episode. Please forgive me. Um, it's a minor spoiler, but basically there's an episode where a lot of refugees from the war front 
are showing up at the station, Babylon 5. And they ask the ugly question, what do we do with triage? Because there are some people who are simply beyond help. And the idea is, well, then we should just leave them to die where they lay. But at the same time, that's really inhuman to do that, isn't it? It's an actually wonderfully horrifying dilemma, because no matter what you do, you are screwing someone over, and no matter what you're doing, it's wrong. One way or the other. You're either trying to help who you can, and leaving the others to rot, more or less literally, or you're trying to help everyone, and you're going to fail at helping as many. But there's a quote that's stuck in my head about that episode that's just been ringing in my head ever since. No one deserves to die alone on the cold metal floor. Which brings me to this episode. Gamor, he's done all he can. He's shared his information. He's passed on his legacy, basically. He's handed his legacy to Kira. It's a good thing we'll never see that again. And he's... alone. And Kira finally brings herself to go in there and face that because, as she herself says later, she she just couldn't. Like that, because that was really what it was about. She doesn't even have to say it out loud. I love that. She doesn't have to say it out loud. She just couldn't face that. She didn't face it last time. So how could she face that again? Her father died when she was away, calling her name alone on the cold floor. Now, this may sound callous, because in the realm of pragmatism, who cares, right? I mean, he was beyond eight anyway, so whoop-de-doo. Might as well euthanize him, right? I want you to imagine, if you will, I want you to imagine being that person. <sighs> Sorry. See, I don't have to imagine. I've been there. I lived, obviously, but I've been there. How could you imagine being on cold metal, utterly alone? Now, I want you to picture what that feels like. Because no one's there, and no one's answering. I want you to imagine the despair, the desperation. We as human beings are social creatures. We have to connect with others. We have to. Otherwise, we are literally just animals. And when we are at that low point, we don't want comfort or food or water or even air. What we want is another person. So imagine what Kira's first father went through. Really, imagine it. Thankfully, her second father did not have to go through that. I'm sorry, it's taking me so long to talk. I'm trying to keep tears out of my voice. <sighs> it's taken some effort. Because he had his family with him. He had someone there. He could feel her. He could touch her, literally. She was laying on his chest. 
he knew that was present. And she mentions how he would let go and exhale, but then he would fight for one more breath. Because of course he would. Because she was there. He had a reason. He had a reason to. So the episode uh, ends. <laughs> Kira has a great speech to uh, Bashir. And, God, I'm just soaking right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kira gives a great speech to Bashir. About everything. About everything I just elucidated on. <sighs> I'm reminded, actually, of Tucker, Season 3 of Enterprise. I'm not going to spoil but you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen it. And um, she buries him next to her other father and a garden. And this is pure headcanon. But I'd like to think that for the last several years she's gone down there and helped tend that garden. And I'd like to think she'll keep doing it for a while yet. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry for everything. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time. <laughs>